Hello, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome to Couples Book Club. <laughs> I'm Lauren. That one's Isaac. Yep, yep. We uh, can read, and we're married to each other. I've just been faking it for 36 years. Wow. Yep. You are faking it before the age that you supposedly learned to read even? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, my parents impressive. expected me to read, like, right out of the gate. Yeah. It's I was like, impressive. boom, we're going to wipe all the, like, wet stuff off of you, and then like we're going to... the amniotic fluid? We're going to give you a book. That's hardcore, man. Yep. Gang, we read a book this week, and by this week, I mean in the past the last weeks. several weeks. <laughs> we got a little off schedule. We read Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Erin Carmen and Shana Nizhnik. It's a fun name. Yeah. Shanna? Shanna. Shanna. I would say Shanna, but I don't know. I could see it the other way. Yeah. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. Enjoyed it as well. I mean, I expected to like it. Um, I like Erin Carmen's stuff. Um, it's, pre- it's pretty breezy. A little bit snarky in spots, so. Yeah. It's not like a traditional biography. I mean, obviously, it's called Notorious RBG. Nizhnik is the one who started the Notorious RBG Tumblr, I believe. Um, where people like posted their images and stuff so uh, but she's also the one who is a lawyer so fun facts yeah it's a relatively short kind of breezy biography of of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, and it has kind of a sprinkling of like stuff for um, like judicial nerds who want to read the like her dissents and there's some commentary written on like things decisions she's written on and um and then there's a bunch of pictures of people dressed up as her in the back and like people's tattoos and things like that tattoos um because uh if you don't love her I mean you should so I think that's a fair it's a fair assessment they also used um I mean even Scalia liked her so. They're like BFFs. BFs F. And, I mean, it's, I feel like that's rare for a rage push tool to have fondness for someone. <laughs> but. Uh, this came out in 2015, so it was before... So Scalia was still alive and before, you know, the Supreme Court um, debacle... Debacles of which we, we shan't speak, really. Oh, I think you mean proper carriage of justice... <sighs> yeah, let us let us not speak of the United States Senate, just in general. Um, it's probably sound policy. Probably for the best. Um, oh, I should put my Santa hat on. Guys, did you know it's December? We've got our Christmas decorations up. Oh, uh, ho- Santa ho- hat. Holiday decorations. This is a non-denominational podcast. Um, I mean, we're clearly not religious. That's been established. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, we do have the uh, Jew tablecloth. Um, <laughs> it's a tablecloth with uh, different colored uh, stars of David. Um, so happy Hanukkah to um, all our favorite Jews. And we don't have an attorney, but if we did, I mean, definitely wouldn't rule out a Jewish lawyer. Wait, you don't have an attorney? 
okay, well, apparently I need to be looking for an attorney. I keep like two or three people on retainer just in case. Really? Yep. Well, at least one of them's Jewish though, right? Team rolls deep. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not confirming yeah. anything about my attorneys. Uh, we don't celebrate Kwanzaa, but we support it emotionally um, because it's not a holiday that's for us. Right. Um, solstice, you know, go for it. I was raised with Christmas, but there's no representation of, of Christ here in this home. Listen, I'm drinking some Baileys because it's a holiday season. Turn nice, on my tree. Nice, I'm drinking Baileys. Nice creamy Baileys. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed our last episode uh, where we had special guest Adam Iverson on uh, to talk about Eat, Pray, Love. It was a fun one. That was a lot of fun, and um, we are hoping to have more guests in the future um because we're still having fun doing this and according to my soundcloud account people are listening who appear not to even be people i know i know what that's about i don't know it could just be bots government agents um that's my thought okay well thank you to the nsa um, probably the FBI. I mean, you're definitely on all the watch lists. I assume, yeah. Because of the beard and the, um, quote, scholarly interest. I haven't in been terrorism. stopped at an airport yet. Well, I got searched one time. That's secondary. You know who does fund ISIS, though? Hobby Lobby. Well, yeah. Because they uh, help fund uh, the stealing of, uh, you know, Iraqi treasures. Whatever. They don't Antiquities. appreciate them there. I guess not. Anyway, fuck Hobby Lobby. Whose who's, uh, decision isn't mentioned in here as well. Mm-hmm. Hobbs Lobs. Hobbs Lobs. Uh, yeah, I guess we could um, just kind of do a little quick overview, which I guess would just be a quick overview of uh, RBG's life. Yeah. It kind of starts out talking about uh, one of her big descents in the past, like, five years or so she's really started started um dissenting a lot more and a lot more vocally well i mean it's like two-thirds douchebags right um but then it goes back into kind of like how we got here and uh each of the chapter titles is um some notorious uh big lyrics you know just to pay him his proper respects right or props as some might say (laughs) Mad, mad, mad props. Mad, the possibly. maddest of props. Actually, her her first name is Joan. Joan Ruth Bader was born in 1933 in Brooklyn. And they called her Kiki when she was little. Because that's what her sister called her. Her sister, her sister died, though, I think. Or maybe she had more than one sister. I, I do not recall. Her parents were not immigrants, but I think they were the children of immigrants. Or something like that. Um, in case you didn't know, they were Jewish. And uh, she went to a public high school and she went to camp in the summer with other Jewish kids from New York. And um, she was a high achiever. And then she got into Cornell, right? Yeah. They had like that weird, like separate dorm crap. Oh, like the single sex dorms? Well, and like they had to, they were like not really supposed to like go out. Like, they had to, like, stay in their dorms or, like, sign out, sign in by a certain time or something. Right, because girls. Gotta keep it. In the 1950s. Keep that on lockdown, man. Yeah. It's important. 
Well, her mom died right before she graduated from high school. Can't be out there in the wilds of Ithaca, New York. No. Unsupervised. When she was in college, she met her husband, Marty, who just seems like just like a good dude. And he liked her right away. But they were kind of like just friends for a while because they were both kind of seeing other people. Um, but then eventually she was feeling it. And they got married after they both graduated from college. He'd already started law school. And then they had their first kid right away. And they lived in Oklahoma for a few years because he'd been in ROTC, so he had to do, he had to like be in the army. Yeah, and then she enrolled at Harvard Law. Um, but Marty was a year ahead of her, and then he got cancer, but she was able to help him finish. And he got a job in New York, and she wanted to be able to finish her degree. She had a year left, like from a distance. From a distance. Exactly. That's what but that song's about. Then, um, Hold fact. Dean Griswold was just kind of like a dick about it. That was dude's like, a dick. He was like, no. Dick a dick. Uh, and she was like, dude, my husband had cancer, and we have a little girl, and he has to take this job in New York. That's what happens when you let women and into law And she was like school. on the law route. She was one of like two women on the law review and stuff, and like, it's not like she wasn't a good student. She would have finished. Well, ladies are flaky like that. They're like, oh, I have a family and responsibilities. Gay. Seriously. Not like men who have absolutely no responsibilities in nope. marriage they or don't have families, uh, with I children. Have. Yep. Yeah, so she ended up having to transfer to Columbia. So she graduated from Columbia. Um, but then she was having trouble finding a job because nobody wanted to hire a woman, especially not one who, like, already had a kid. That's what you get for reproducing, man. Right? Liability. But then she started teaching, right? Like at Rutgers at first? Yeah. Yeah, so she started teaching, and then she uh, eventually started working for the ACLU um, and uh, co-founded this women's rights project and, like, brought a bunch of cases, like, uh, federal, federal cases against people who are discriminating against women and against men, but, like, gender-based discrimination. Um, which got her in front of the Supreme Court. Later, she got a job at Columbia Law. Yeah, a bunch of cases uh, she brought to the Supreme Court and argued. Eventually, she was, um, like, in the early 80s, I think, uh, Carter, like, in 1980, uh, Carter nominated her to be, like, an appeals court judge. Mm. Um, and they had to move to D.C. for that. And then I guess uh, Marty lobbied pretty hard for her to be nominated to the Supreme Court when a spot opened up during um, Bill Clinton's first term. And she was eventually confirmed. And then she's on the Supreme Court where she was kind of pretty like conciliatory with people, kind of up until uh, Bush v. Gore. And then the the court started to move further and further right, so she started dissenting more and being like, hey guys, you're fucked up. But in the meantime, she was like BFFs with Antonin Scalia, who's a fuckface, um, which I don't understand. But we'll forgive her that, I guess. Um, Will we? Because basically she's awesome and she's always right. No, not always right. But often on the right side of things and... Um, People think she's awesome and she's a meme 
now, and we hope that she never retires, and she can do 20 push-ups, two sets of 10. It's impressive. She works out every day. She's had cancer twice. That's kind of the big overview of her, of her, her life. Yeah, that seems about right. But told in an entertaining way, I think. Lots of good anecdotes from, like, former clerks and stuff. So anecdotal. What is it she gives to her, like, former clerks when they have a baby? She sends them, like, onesies that say, like... I wrote it down. Something grand clerk. RBG grand clerk. RBG grand clerk. It's fucking adorable. It's kind of awesome. Am I, am I starting just wherever? Yeah, just start wherever. Start at the top, then. Uh, the description of growing up when her mom was, like, sick. Hmm. Uh, when it's a, her, her childhood home had the smell of death to it. Ugh. That was a, a fun fun detail. But I, don't oh. know, I, just, I just like that phrasing. Yeah. Obviously, you know, unfortunate circumstances, but, like... It's a good description of the environment, probably, I suppose, that would just be, like, in the background of everything. She's sick for a long time. Well, especially in that time period where I feel like there weren't as many kind of treatment options. It was just sort of, like, inevitable. Her mom died of cervical Cervical cancer. Cervical cancer, yeah. But also, she has, Ruth has talked about how, like, her mom was, like, the smartest person she's ever known. But, like, you know... Because she was a woman. Held down by the domestic crap. Right. Because she was a woman during a specific time. Yeah. She, like, really didn't get opportunities. Um, And so she really pushed Ruth to, like, be an achiever. Living Um, vicariously through her daughter. It doesn't sound like in a bad way, though. No, 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 no. No, I mean, especially in that situation, it's natural to want your kid to have more opportunities than you did. And it seems like she did... While yeah. still having to deal with a lot of, like, you know, 60s, 70s bullshit in terms of... Right, yeah, no, there's a lot of sexist like employing crap. women, especially in law. Yeah. Well, and kind of one of the threads throughout the book is talking about how she as a person is kind of, like, quiet and unassuming. And so um, I think she can kind of get by with having, um, like, even though her... Uh, politics might be a little bit more radical than like centrist because of her demeanor and her ability I guess to like just put up with people's crap without like getting angry at them Mm -hmm. allowed her to achieve in a way that people who are more in your face might not have been able to although I feel like to a certain degree that's like I don't know like a chicken egg kind of thing that maybe she was kind of like that but maybe also she kind of had to be like that to exist in that system that if you want to get a foothold, if you want to be able to advance, you have to do those things, or at oh, least yeah. during that time period, and probably yeah. arguably today, but well, yeah, like I mean, especially just, then. Even if you look at Hillary Clinton, who's um, nasty you know, woman. a little bit younger. Nasty, nasty woman. So nasty. Um, you know, how much she has had to, uh, like, smile and nod and suppress her, like, like, very rightful anger about being treated like shit by you know the media by everybody um because nobody likes an angry woman sticking up for killery now see how it is i'm sorry i prefer shillery shillery <laughs> either or uh crooked crooked h yep i mean when when's there going to be a, a you know a special prosecutor for for her crimes yeah lock her up man like uranium sales etc so many emails 
Benghazi. Benghazi. <laughs> Roswell. <laughs> Roswell. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that was... I don't, am, I, am I just continuing? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was an especially good kind of nugget of information is uh, when her mom pulls her aside at the wedding... That the the advice is that it sometimes help help it helps sometimes to be a little deaf in a marriage. Oh, it's her mother in law. Yeah, a mother in law. Her mom okay. died oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her mother in law who like loved Ruth and like became a, su- a surrogate mom to her. Yeah. Because her mom was dead. Uh, Evelyn Ginsburg. But like, isn't that the truth? Ha <laughs> Boom. I mean, it's probably true for you. <laughs> I don't listen to like half of the stuff you say, so it's well. A lot of it I'm saying in a weird voice and yeah. trying to make a joke that is really terrible. Yep. And then I don't stop doing it until you acknowledge that I'm doing it. Yeah, I mostly filter that stuff out anymore, but <laughs> it's it's a finely tuned filter after God nine plus years we've been together, I guess. But <laughs> had to, I've had time to hone it. That yeah, there are times where you know it's not bad advice. It, I like the depiction because there's a whole chapter specifically on it but the depiction of their marriage is very like they talk about how it was really egalitarian during a time where that was like a rare to have you know them actually like be partners right right, right, right. Like they both worked and Marty did the cooking presumably they both you know took care of the kids um I have some uh, one one parenting note that mm-hmm. I really really liked mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably recall this moment uh, they talked the the description was that her, her parenting uh, style was austere which I really like <laughs> uh, but also the uh, well first of all the, the idea that she expresses her self through quiet disappointment mm. which is like the best of passive aggressive parenting oh god I'm a huge fan of that approach, uh, having having been reared in such an approach. Uh, wasn't she like the same age as your dad? She well, she's 33. You said mm-hmm. so. She's two years older than my dad. Okay, but similar age, yeah. Same generation. Yeah, uh, and that her her daughter uh, kept a book called "Mommy Laughed" to keep track of oh. when she could actually get her mom to laugh yeah. about something because she was so like deadpan or just like not outwardly expressive like that. Well. I don't keep track, <laughs> but I always feel a special type of joy when something that I say makes you make you laugh while, with noise. I don't, I don't give them out for free, man. No, you don't. A laugh slut. Gotta earn that shit. <laughs> can, I, can I segue from this into one of my yes. other favorite points? Please. Um, this is, well, relatively late. It's 123 is the page number I have, but... Uh, where I think it's her clerks are kind of talking about it, or it's talked in, in terms of them about her, the, the phrase is tolerance for conversation silence, mm. that she just has like long pauses and they're never like quite sure if she's done talking yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, I liked that. <laughs> and so they had, they called it the, the five Mississippi rule, mm. that you just wait and if you get to five, she's probably done. Mm-hmm. But talked about like times they'd be like getting up and like leaving and going out the door, and then she'd like still be talking about something and they have to come back. <laughs> Just a, a, a ruminative thinker. Yeah, takes her a little while to process, but well, yeah, and it sounds like she's very careful about what she says and how she says it. Um, well, and for my sort of impression is like a person who 
doesn't engage in like extraneous or like unnecessary speech there's just like an economy there yeah which is something i i don't know i appreciate that sure people who just like do not shut up uh why are you looking at me i'm not looking at you particularly (laughs) but like yeah where it's just like i don't know because you're the because i'm the person that you're talking to quantity over quality kind of situation versus like i don't know I feel like if you're going to say something, there should be, like, a purpose to it or, like, it, it exists for a reason that you're not just, like, filling dead air just yeah. because. But I appreciated that detail about her, that she seems like someone who uh, is very, like, efficient in terms of that. I mean, probably you sort of have to be when you're managing, like, a ridiculous workload. Yeah. And you have to, like, delegate stuff to people. Like, you just don't have time for, like, bullshitting, but... When I liked how they talked about her writing and how she teaches her clerks to write decisions and about, like, yeah, not using extraneous words and how if her decision or her dissent or whatever is longer than 20 pages, then it probably doesn't need to be. Well, and that was one thing I appreciated about the excerpts that are in there. Like, hey, it's cool to read that because I don't really read that much. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, Supreme Court, uh, like, dissents or, uh, I guess, uh, majority opinions or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that hers seemed, at least in the relation of, like, handful of others that I've looked at, to be fairly, like, kind of plain-spoken. Right. Which I like. Like, I feel like these, you know, these things should be accessible. You shouldn't have to have a law degree to understand what the rulings are. Right. Um, And I don't think the Supreme Court decisions necessarily skew that far. But, like, you know, you are theoretically representative of or speaking to, you know, the average American. So, like, possibly you should, you know. Right. Your decisions present it in a comprehensible kind of way. Your decisions become law, basically. Right. And people should be able to understand that. But I mean, it's just like with academics. Like, there are a lot of like superstar academics who are horrible writers Mm -hmm. or like intentionally like opaque. And it's just like, do you not want people to know what you have to say? Like, can't you just be clearer about your ideas? I find myself realizing that more and more that like the further away from grad school I get the more I imagine this like theory past life where I used to like talking jargony stuff Mm -hmm. but now the more I think and I think what sort of I don't know swung it for me is like all right can I explain this to my coworkers? in just like a random you know sort of like retail job or something like that which is not to like say anything about coworkers, but just thinking like right right, it's not about intelligence right can i explain this in a way where people will readily understand it um which you should be able to do if your ideas are good uh, and solid you should be able to explain them very clearly Mm -hmm. in a way that still holds up because i don't know the the i don't know the analogy that i think of with that maybe it's not the best one but like if uh, if you can play a song like just on an acoustic like without any of the other crap if it's like a full band song mm-hmm. and it still stands up that's a good song yeah if you can't then maybe it's you know a product of other stuff and that's not a hard and fast rule obviously but yeah if you can take it down to that sort of basic level and it still functions that's a good a good piece of work right well and i've always liked that i mean ever since i first read like bell hooks talking about accessibility and about how complex ideas can be expressed in a way that people can understand. And I've always been proud of being a good writer, and I feel like I write 
in a pretty clear way, but definitely studying as a grad student and even reading other grad students' papers and stuff, just realizing how many people, no matter how smart they are, might be shit writers is... Um, well, and it just ends up being this, like, theory circle jerk where you have to, like, jump through these hoops and demonstrate your knowledge of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it gets to the point where it just obscures things or you're just, like, doing it for the sake of doing it and there's not any... Right. And if you're talking about things that have a- application in the real world in any way, then who are you writing for if people in the real world c- can't, you know... You know, the time or the energy or the educational background to sit and decipher it. Like I'm, work, I'm working on some cutting-edge Goonies scholarship right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke from a sketch I wrote. Yeah. Because I feel like, I don't know, just because of, like, current crap, like, the world is basically on fire, both literally and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe we should kind of attend attend to that and then do other stuff later, maybe. But I don't know. I mean... You could do both, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, what, but... what the humanities basically is good for is, is teaching critical thinking skills. Yeah. Which, if maybe more people had them or used them, we would be in a less shitty situation. Uh, hashtag fake news, bro. Whatever. But, back to RBG's writing. Yeah, sorry. Tangent, um, tangent. She, there's a, they talk about her clerks and how, like, the first time you get, um, because they write the first drafts of the the um, like the decisions or whatever, and they write briefs for her and stuff. The first time you get one back from her is like usually like you're gonna need to like have a good cry and maybe get drunk. Well, I think they said in one she crossed off or changed like every word in a paragraph, but like one except for the word the. Yeah, which is to make him feel less bad. Amazing. Yeah. I've I haven't had that too much, but I remember getting a chapter back on my thesis from a certain faculty member that was like kind of a, a punch to the gut. Was this the anti-snark one? Yeah. It told, yeah. yeah. He told me I was um, being too snarky. Whatever, It wasn't man. a blog post. If you want to read dry academic garbage. Right. My chair liked my jokes, but yeah. I toned it down. Mine mine has a bunch of jokes in it, my dissertation, which is I didn't take out all the jokes. largely garbage, but there are a lot of uh, sort of like throwaway references to stuff in there Yeah, that I appreciated. Anyway, I could relate to that. <laughs> like getting your draft back and being like, oh God, oh God, nothing I do is good. It's all garbage. But I mean, I'm sure they end up being better and more precise writers at the end of it. So Right. No. And my, I have, well, and that, um, um, that certain uh, committee member and at least one other professor I had in grad school who were kind of were the professors who required um, like weekly like reading reviews and stuff, which is annoying as fuck, but it also forces you to write all the time and to synthesize the readings so that when you're ready to write a paper, you've already like thought it through. But you're also in practice writing about these topics and you get to know what that professor wants and is looking for. And so even though the first few can be kind of harsh when you get them back, uh, once you figure out like what they're looking for, then you like know how to write better. I mean, it's like writing for an editor or whatever. I'm sure, but well, I was thinking about that today. I was thinking about my my writing classes that I teach, um, and that like for me at least, the way I became a good writer to the extent that I am a good writer, which is always you know an open question, I guess, but um, is just by reading a lot, 
Mm-hmm. It's seeing how people construct their things and how they write stuff. And then just writing a ton of stuff. Yeah. Like, being in a humanities program, so doing, like, literature is my main deal. And then, like, philosophy is one of my minors. Like, you just have to write a lot. That's what you do. Yeah. Like, you write tons of papers. And then grad school, obviously, you do more. And, like, just out of necessity, you get good at it because, like, you do it a ton. Um, And I feel like professors have their own sort of expectations for what they want things to look like. So it's not obviously standard across the board. But, like, you can take little bits from everyone and kind of put that together and end up being a pretty good writer by the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. I'm very, like, structurally focused. So do you have a clear thesis statement? Are there transitions? Do I understand why this paragraph is here? Are you using supporting evidence in a a productive kind of way? And other people might emphasize other stuff, but I feel like that's what I offer, and I feel like that's an important thing to have in your writing. Right. I mean, that's good basic stuff that's going to serve them no matter what kind of papers they're writing. Right. If they learn anything. Right. If they remember anything. Right, 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 right. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be like, her stuff would be like writing boot camp, basically, and people oh, would yeah. be no, much better at the end of and it. and probably a little demoralizing, but she wouldn't have chosen you, she wouldn't have taken people's recommendation for you to be their clerk if you weren't smart already. Right, 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 right. Like, and I'm sure the other people, you know, coaching through it, the other, the clerks have been there longer or whatever. Well, we talked about it a little bit, but I just appreciated seeing the, like, dissents and stuff in there. Because I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a, a bad follower of politics, but I don't normally read those decisions or hear much about them for the most part. I, there are a few, um, like, reproduct, reproductive justice lawyers that I follow who are good writers um, who, uh, like, will post stuff about, like, Supreme Court decisions and basically interpret them for real people. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a... I'm a sucker for a good annotation like that, too, mm-hmm. where someone unpacks it and gives you, like, additional background that unless you're sort of a specialist in that area, you don't have, and sort of puts it in context and explains it for you a little bit more. Right. Especially in the later chapters where they, it was just, like, starting kind of her descent era um, that she wears her special collar for. Yep. Um I, I, wouldn't nec- I wouldn't really be interested in reading those. I just want to see a summary. But yeah, with the annotations, and they're short excerpts too, with the annotations, um, yeah, basically explaining in plain English, like, what this means or what this is referring to, that's super helpful. Um, so, that was cool. Yeah, no, I thought that was pretty interesting. I just have it noted on here as badass descents. <laughs> I think just because, like, I'm, you know roundly sympathetic to those things and I think our positions generally overlap on those things yeah um so you know I'm in favor of that also like a bunch of those assholes need to be told occasionally right right well yeah because she's not um like a bridge burner on those things um but she will say stuff that is kind of like what the fuck are you guys thinking but in like nice legal language well and I feel like especially uh, it feels like the court is more sort of polarized or extreme in that sense. Yeah. Which obviously is the, you know, product of like Bush era appointments largely and now yeah. Trump era bullshit. But like so, you know, I don't know. Before where you could have like polite discussions or whatever. Not that not that you can't have polite discussions now, but like they're like tensely polite discussions. 
where it's like, you guys are stupid. I'm going to tell you you're stupid, basically, because you're more stupid than you've been before, essentially. Well, and it sounds like when they actually sit in the same room, they basically all just say what they're thinking, and there's not really a debate. But on occasion, like, writing a dis- her writing a dissent or um, a majority opinion or whatever might sway people um, to her side. Because she always wants it to be, you know, she doesn't want everything to be like fucking 5-4 decision. If she needs to soften a little bit of language in order to get one more vote, she just thinks that that makes it look even more legitimate. Right. I mean, she's also practical. She knows you have to get what you have to get. But um, it sounds like she would be very good to work with. Um, but she and Alito clearly have kind of like an icy relationship. Which that, I appreciate. that anecdote about his like eye roll when she was reading one of her dissents. Don't fucking fuck yourself. Yeah. Have some respect. Seriously, dude. Yeah, there's a lot in this book that is just like makes you so angry at the patriarchy. Uh, one of my okay, couple couple of my favorite ones. There's one where she is at some sort of like social event. I think at what's his douches house. Griswold? Yeah. And when he, she was in law school. Yeah. And he has them justify taking the place of a man. Oh, the in like the program. The like eight women in the program. Or explaining or why she was there and she basically felt kind of compelled to say to like understand my husband's work or something like yeah. that. Uh also I think it was in that section or shortly thereafter where they talk about the, the like ladies day thing in law school. Where the law professors like only call on the women and then just like kind of like belittle them or ask them like dick questions or something like that. Just to like put them in their place, mm-hmm. basically. It's like, are you guys that like, well, you are that insecure? Yeah. That you feel like you need to do this? Well, that- and that whole idea of somebody taking your place is so, I mean, that's, I mean, this is why she's like pro affirmative action too, though. It's like, it doesn't belong to you. Right. First of all, you're not specifically entitled well, well, to go well, to Harvard well, hold Law up, School. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a white man. Everything belongs to me. This is okay. America. Right. Obviously. Uh, but talking about like uh, historically underrepresented, underrepresented or oppressed groups, like how affirmative action is a uh, correction for that. Like, what's the? She gives that good example in the one where the um, Supreme Court shredded the Voting Rights Act. I forget the the name of that case. Um. Where basically they argued that because Obama got elected twice and like um, African American voting was like was this the all, like umbrella yeah thing? had like yeah. all time high rates or whatever that like civil rights worked and we don't need the Voting Rights Act anymore and yeah. she was basically like that's like saying um, that's like being in a rainstorm with an umbrella and saying I'm not getting wet so throwing away the umbrella yeah <laughs> like. That's not, like, what? We still need it. Right, right. Nobody's rights are being infringed by keeping it. So why not keep those protections? Uh, I think you mean people of color are getting special rights. Oh, special rights, as in it's voting is accessible to them? Yep, yep. (laughs) At all? Yep. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do appreciate that her, like you can like kind of sense her like righteous anger growing over the years with all these like awful decisions 
Well, yeah, and I think, I mean, recently there have definitely been garbage decisions. So, like, that one and the uh, Citizens United decision and just, like, Mm -hmm. really just broadly objectionable stuff. Yeah, well, Hobby Lobby. Well, and to, like, the extent that, you know, conservatives bitch about, like, activist judges legislating from Mm -hmm. the bench or whatever, like, that's exactly what that stuff is. Mm -hmm. So let's not pretend that's not what's going on right that you're like somehow some originalist who is uh able to understand the intent of the framers who are obviously infallible and not like you know slave owners and otherwise compromised but right uh yeah but the idea that it's only like so-called liberal decisions that count as legislating from the bench yeah and also i feel like that's just kind of inherent to the process even if it's not meant to be political you're still setting precedent for things right i mean obviously and it's decisions... impossible for people to be objective completely right that's not possible and the decisions reflect right their personal backgrounds and like there are reasons why they were chosen by they were nominated by particular presidents and so that's political sure and then like just times fucking change like they just do and people's opinions change because maybe you know 25 years ago nobody on the supreme court had a like a gay grandchild or something but now they might right and so they're like oh i guess they should get married but yeah there was i think it was also that griswold dude who is just a garbage human being mm-hmm. it seems uh who was lamenting at one point that with all the like women and minorities coming in that like white men are becoming an endangered species and we'll have to do something to attend to their plight and just like bro bro like everything's set up for you because bro well it's, we've had this discussion before but it's basically like white people dudes especially are like freaking the fuck out because they're no longer the default mm-hmm. and like that's impossible they cannot like compute how this is a, po- a thing that can happen now right like, we don't just automatically have an advantage? Well, that's racist or reverse racist then. It's like, no, not not really, no. And no. also, if you examine it, you really do still have an advantage. Right. It's just maybe you Slightly don't less always of an advantage. get what you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or other people get some stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's so much bullshit. But thankfully, that's not an effective political strategy. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but. totally. Good times, good times. RBG, though. Hold, holding it down for the... Right. People are like, you retire. Retire when I'm dead, bitch. Exactly. Probably not even then. Yeah. Ghost of RBG. She's going to hold that seat forever. Yep. So you know the Democratic president. Uh... Well, I mean, the precedent is, what, a year? I feel like we could stretch that out. I was just thinking, like, if if someone stepped down, like, tomorrow, let's just sit on it until 2020. I mean, is there a year left in this presidency? If that, <laughs> optimistically, we'll see. Mm. I don't know. The fir- first year has really been, you know, been knocking it out of the park. Right. So. Yeah, I know. Killing it. Oh, uh, the KFC anecdote I really enjoyed. Was that when she was nominated to the Supreme Court? Uh, D.C. Circuit Court. She gets oh, confirmed okay. for and then I was like sitting on the floor eating KFC, celebrating. Yeah, at the Just party the other faculty members. Amazing. Through. Yeah. Appreciate that. Well, one thing I do think is really cool is that like there are, you know, women who have achieved 
um, things that most women have not had access to, but who are more concerned with making sure that people know that they're like exceptional and like not like other girls and um, like rub elbows with gross dudes who also think like they'll make an exception for this one woman because she hates other women. Well, your your job is to achieve and then like pull the ladder up after you, so everyone yeah. else gets fucked. Right. I mean, it's like uh, like fucking Phyllis Schlafly, uh, like spending all her time uh, lobbying Congress and telling women that they sh- that they should stay home. It's like you're not at home. Yeah. Or like the Ann Coulter effect, where she's like, women shouldn't have the vote, but like, you're like a quote unquote like political pundit well i mean like they're just they're just gonna vote like their husbands vote anyway so why why bother i always ask you and by ask you i mean i look up who's running and i make a list in local elections and then you use it usually yeah (laughs) (laughs) no what i do appreciate about ginsburg though is that she has um yeah that she's all about like mentoring other women and like lifting them up and like recommending them for jobs and clerkships and um yeah she doesn't she doesn't want to be the only one she was like really sad when o'connor retired and she was the only woman for a while i appreciated that sort of stuff where uh she was talking about yeah being being the second female justice and then um like people confusing them even though they They look look like nothing alike no. And have, like, fairly different opinions on some stuff. Yeah. And yet, like, obviously, you know, all all female justices look the same, clearly. Except those are the easiest ones to keep track of. All the white dudes, I'm like, wait, is that one a Kennedy, Breyer? Well, there's uh, Rage Pustule, uh, Eye Roller, uh, uh, Conservative Ken. That's Roberts? Roberts is okay, Conservative right. Ken, yeah. Um, there was the Bowtie guy. Uh, yeah. And then spicy Latina. <laughs> um, I don't know what you would call Kagan. Uh, Junior Jew. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> well, Elena Kagan apparently insisted that her like conservative uh synagogue uh let her do a bat mitzvah, which was not a thing that they were doing at the time. Which is incredibly stupid, but yeah. I mean, girls have to become a man, too. Yep. That's what I've always said. That's the only way you can succeed in the world. Yeah. Being a man. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything. I think think you hit hit all my stuff. Yeah, uh, I guess one thing is just that as far as her, like, the legal cases that she pursued towards the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. uh, when she was working for the ACLU, um, she thought it was really important that they not all be, um, like, female... Uh, plaintiffs or whatever she did stuff to help um men who are widowers get um you know social security benefits um so that they could you know stay home and take care of their young children whereas like if it were the genders were reversed and it was a widow it would be automatic right but you know in that case his wife was the one who had worked and their children were still really young and um you know she wanted to take the gender out of the law, not just like, let's get stuff for women. Let's have the law, you know, disregard this as like a qualifier for getting these government benefits or whatever. Yeah. 
So she was particularly proud of, I think, that case. I think, right. Obviously, she did a lot on behalf of women, especially having to do with, um, of course, like reproductive rights, uh, by which I mean abortion. Um, Baby killing. Right. For fun. Uh, but also like pregnancy discrimination. It's like when she got pregnant with their daughter in the 50s, she got fired as soon as she told people that she was pregnant. Well, like the second time she hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she got so pregnant she again like canned. 10 years later. After they yeah. thought Marty couldn't have any more kids. Yeah. And they had a surprise. They had a son who was a lot younger, but yeah. Well, yeah, because she didn't want to get fired. So she basically just was the most pregnant. It was when she was teaching at Rutgers, I think. Her the third trimester fell over the summer conveniently. She had the baby, like, at the beginning of September and then immediately went back to work so she wouldn't lose her job. Yeah. Which is, like, messed up. I appreciated that, the, like, her, like, coming right back to work after stuff. It wasn't, like, the, a day or two after her husband died she was back on the job. And then, like, after yeah. she had, like, cancer treatment, she was back. Right. Uh, I appreciate that dedication. Yeah, she's, like, a workaholic. Uh, she's also a night owl. So she, like, <laughs> which I respect and relate to. She, like, leaves her clerk's voicemails in the middle of the night for, hey, like, stuff hey, to do. Hey. Hey. Exactly. Or, like, there would be times, like, she'd be going to bed when her husband was getting up, which, like, is our dynamic also. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm not doing important legal work, though. I'm fucking Shift change. Doing lots of puzzles. I'm doing tons of important legal work. Sometimes I'm working on comedy writing. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's pretty hardcore. I respect her. I'm not sure how much she would like hanging out with me because I talk a lot and I, everything's a joke and apparently she doesn't have a very robust sense of humor. Although she has, they said that the, they said that like Marty brought out kind of the silly side of her. But like by herself, she's not. She doesn't really make a ton of jokes. Yeah. Which you know, not everybody's jam. I don't understand it as a lifestyle choice. But you know. To each, to each their own, man. Yeah. There's not a lot to say about something that I liked and was kind of short and like. It's yeah. just kind of interesting to know more about her. Yeah. No, I didn't know that much about her. So. Yeah. I recommend it, definitely. It's a good, like, primer on her life and on her um, Supreme Court decisions. And She's just doing, like, a lot of really cool, badass stuff back in the 60s and 70s, especially, like, legal-wise for gender equality, which is very cool. Because I imagine how much harder it was back then. Sure. It's still not great now. Sure, sure, sure. But, um... It must be incredibly infuriating to see those things get rolled back. Roll back. Roll. No. <laughs> do, do, do. Do, do. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like that. What? Um, I went to the Goodwill the other day to look for, um, you know, some possible hate reads. I, I decided we, we've done a few books that have been, like, popular kind of, like, chiclet type things. So I was like, why don't we do some... Brolet. Brolet. Um, and I, so I picked out a, a Tom Clancy book. It's gonna be so bad. Uh, my parents read that crap. Um, I tried to read Hunt for Red October when I was little, and it, well, little, like, junior high, and early high school age, and it, 
I, I could not. I tried to read it when I was like 12 because, yeah, we had it around the house. And it was just like, this is just mechanical I did try to read crap. a John Grisham at about that same age. Me too. Yeah. Uh, unsuccessfully. Yeah, me too. It was The Client, maybe. I don't remember which one it was. I tried to read The Firm. Yeah, it was one, it was one of those sort of like early-ish ones, but... Yeah. Well, we're going to give Patriot Games a go. It looks like it's one of his shorter ones. Gonna be like espionage and like action and shit. Which in in general I'm okay with, but I feel like this form will not be that. Yeah, that I mean fun. I I mean I might find it entertaining. We'll see. It's just not something I've ever really been interested in. Well, like my experience with Tom Clancy is that a lot of it is just like unnecessary technical detail on things. Uh, yeah. Well, like I do not care about that. Well, feel but free to skim those parts. I know I will. Skim them so hard. Fucking milk. Exactly. All right. Well, that's what we're reading next. Patriot, Patriot Games by Tom Clancy. Merry Hanukkah Solstice to all of you in the listening world. Um, you can always contact us at couplesbookclubcast at gmail.com and our website is couplesbookclub.blog and you can also find Couples Book Club on Facebook go to your place where you listen to this or download this from and like rate and review and subscribe and all that shit um, so that we can take over the world maybe get like a like somebody to put ads on our show like a sponsor no corporate zone man no, I would love if your corporation integrity, you please purity, etc. Like I don't want to have to try and get a job anymore. I'm not sell it out. This is the '90s. We don't do that. I'm in charge. Okay. <laughs> Talk to me. I'm the one. I'm the one who checks the email. It's true. <laughs> okay, read Patriot Games. Um, Whoa. You know, if you believe in a higher power, which you know is cute, uh, pray for our country. <laughs>